Welcome to The Council Podcast, a podcast about life as an in-house lawyer. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I am passionate about all things in-house and am so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. Hi. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Council Podcast. This one is going to be a little bit different today. It's just me, your host, Mel Scott. It is a very cloudy Saturday here in Brisbane. It's a long weekend and I have a little bit of time on my hands. So I'm most certainly enjoying spending it catching up on all things podcast. Now, I put the call out to Instagram to ask me anything. I know that's a very broad question, and I I suppose it could have gone anywhere, but I was pleasantly surprised, and I did receive some really awesome questions. There are four in particular that I'm going to answer today. The first is, which team or department within your organization do you feel you work best with and why? Great question and it has to be our sales team. Now I know that legal and sales traditionally can butt heads and not have the most harmonious of relationships. Often I think we find that the sales team within an organization are so keen to do whatever they can to close a deal and get it done that they may not necessarily follow all of the rules and the processes that are set out by the legal team, especially when it comes To the contracts, the legal team should be heavily involved in the negotiation of the sales contract. And the earlier that they are involved, the better. I've been with my current organization for three years now. And over that time, I've done a number of very specific things that have built some really great goodwill between the legal team and the sales team. It all started with empathy. As soon as I started, I put myself in their shoes, asked myself what are the challenges that the sales team face when they're out in the market trying to win the deal? And what are the challenges that they face when they're working with the legal team? And how can I make it easier for them to get the deal done, but to get it done in a way that honors and respects the processes that are required by the business. So from that place, I put myself out there and I reached out to the leaders of the different regional sales teams. We have a North American sales team, an Asia Pacific and a European and UK. And I attended their team meetings and I made a real effort to get to know them on a one-on-one basis. And at the time, that was actually quite easy. I think there may have only been 30 or 40 salespeople So it wasn't a long, arduous task for me to get to know them. And over time, we built those relationships. It's not hard to get along with a salesperson. They are normally fairly charming, friendly, and just happy to have a chat. So I use that to my advantage to get to know them and to get them to start to see me as a business partner and not as a roadblock. And that was a really important thing for me to set up from the beginning. Some of the other things that I did uh, were to create some tools that the team could use, a negotiation guide to help them understand the contract that was broken down 
into easy to understand layman terms, explanations of the different clauses in the contract that had a commercial element to them that they needed to know and also how they how they needed to handle any amendments or requested red lines to those particular clauses. I created a frequently asked questions page as well on our internal confluence page that each department has so that there was a a first port of call for anybody in the sales team. This was a space for them to go and to see uh, the answers to the frequently asked questions. And they were, they're often the most, the, the common questions were often always the same. And if I was asked a question that I didn't have a answer for on that page, then I would answer it in the moment and then add it to the page. So it's a living, breathing FAQ. And as the business evolves and the questions become a little trickier or more bespoke, I just add and add so that there's as much information there so that they can see and find the information that they need and that it doesn't hold them up. I also took a lot of time to get to know our product and what it is that we were actually selling so that I could understand the real risk that was involved in the product and the the sale of the product to our customers. And this in turn allowed me to approach our contracts from a commercial standpoint, from a risk-based standpoint, and not to get really stuck into the negotiations and enjoy the battle for what it is, but to take commercial approach, uh, which involves basically looking at the contract value as a whole and understanding what's important to the business and really what we can live without. This will change depending on the deal, on the customer, on the spend that the customer may bring to the business. And largely our our contracts with our customers are actually just a a click through online and they're not negotiated, which is fantastic. That's that's how they're designed and that suits the service, which is, you know, a tech product. It's a SaaS style contract. But of course, there are those bigger companies that do have their own procurement teams and legal teams and checks and balances, and they do want to get out the old red pen and and have a crack at the contract. So when it comes to those customers, again, I approached from a place of empathy. And what I actually did was created a guide to the contract for the other party's lawyer, because I've been in that position so many times. When I'm given a contract last minute, it's due tomorrow, quickly, quickly, what do you think? And I look at it and it's hard to understand because I don't know what I'm buying, what the company's buying. So I wanted to get on the front foot with our customers' lawyers, with a guide to the contract that explains what the product is, what the service is, why we've taken certain risk positions in our contract and and why some particular hot topics such as privacy, data protection, how they play into our product and how uh, or how they don't uh, or aren't a risk and, and specifically why. Not only does this reduce negotiation time and create some, again, some goodwill with the customer's lawyer, giving them some context so they can approach the contract from their own commercial point of view with a little more of an understanding of what they're actually buying. But it's shown the sales team yet again that the legal team is here to help and we're really open to doing that in ways that are innovative uh, and even if that's just a low-tech solution doesn't have to be an expensive solution but in ways that show them that we are again a business partner. So over time I'd like to think that that's how we are seen 
by our sales team and I really do enjoy working with them. They largely follow the legal process and come to us early because they know that we're there to help. And this takes time, but it has to start from a place of, of empathy and that over, overall that builds trust. Or at least that's been my experience. Such a great question. Question number two really got me thinking. It is, what would incentivize you to go back to working in a law firm? P.S. Loving the podcast. Thank you very much. What would incentivize me to work back in a law firm? You know, after, what is it, six, seven years in-house now, it is hard for me to imagine working in a firm and not being surrounded by people who aren't lawyers. <laughs> the great, wonderful benefit of working in-house, of course, is that you are surrounded by people uh, of, of all professions, not, not just lawyers. So if I imagine myself in a firm, it would have to be something innovative. I'm thinking new law. I'm thinking boutique. I'm thinking I am not recording my time. And if this firm is still using time recording, then they probably aren't ticking that innovative box. Otherwise, I think it would all come down to the people. If I can't be surrounded by all professionals and I'm stuck with a whole heap of lawyers, then they better be pretty cool and pretty interesting. <laughs> never say never. The career is a marathon, not a sprint, as I say, and you never know where you may end up in the decades to come. The third question is another law firm related question. This follower asks, do you have any advice on approaching law firms about potential employment? I most certainly do. This is how I started out in my career. I wasn't always an in-house lawyer. Before that, I was in private practice. And that meant trying to get a foot in the door after graduating from law school. So I most certainly have lots to say on this topic. And if you'd like to hear more, go and check out episode four, where I actually explained what it took for me to get my first opportunity. And it took a lot, but I got there. So what I would say is that it's a numbers game. You're going to have to put yourself out there and put your resume out there many, many, many times to many different people more than once to get one opportunity. And I think if you can be realistic about that up front, you won't be disappointed when the going gets tough. And it probably will. Because the thing is, it's a supply and demand situation. And there are so many law graduates just being pumped out of universities year after year. And there aren't necessarily an equal amount of opportunities for them in the legal profession. And there's a real mismatch there. And there has been for, for a number of years now. So what will it take? Well, specifically, you need to have a cover letter that is tailored to each firm that speaks to the values of that firm and what you can glean about them from their website and social media and other things. You're going to want to be as specific as possible to show that you have a really special interest in that firm, which may not be the case, but you're going to have to put the work in. No one likes to receive a generic cover letter. It's just not special. It's not a great first impression. If you can, have your resume reviewed by someone in the legal profession or someone who is working in a professional field or capacity who can understand who understands what is required and what kind of detail you should put in and what should be left out. The general rule of thumb seems to be for an entry level position, 
no more than two pages, although it has been some time since I've applied for a job and certainly as a junior. So that may have reduced or increased, but probably not by much. So stick to around two pages as a good rule of thumb. The other thing I would say is that there is nothing wrong with cold calling and I would encourage it. Get on LinkedIn, message people, be specific about what you're looking for and why you'd like to connect. Walk into the office of the law firm if you can, COVID measures and restrictions permitting, and drop off your resume. You'd be surprised how infrequently that actually happens. And do it many times. Message, drop in a resume, call to follow up, email, get outside of your comfort zone. That's what it's going to take. While you're on LinkedIn, reach out to networks and start to create networks. Do a post about what you're looking for and why you'd be a fantastic addition to a particular type of law firm or legal style of of practice. I think it's important to get used to the rejection that will come. And to understand that it's not personal. Again, it's just a numbers game, supply and demand. It's market forces at play. And as much as you are a special individual little flower and you know it and your parents know it and your friends and family know it, the people who are hiring are seeing many, many, many resumes for many wonderful and talented law students or graduates. So you can become a little bit of just another number. And of course, you do what you can to stand out. But at the end of the day, if you don't get the opportunity that you're applying for or you don't hear back or someone's ignoring you, it's not personal. They're busy and you may just be another number at that time. I know it sounds a little harsh, but I think it's the truth. I would also say you should be prepared to take anything that gets your foot in the door. And it may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. It may be part time. It may be a casual position, perhaps a legal receptionist, paralegal, an assistant. It may not be exactly what you hoped for, but it's going to get you into the legal profession in some way. You're going to get to be immersed in the office environment or the work from home environment, but you'll be immersed with other lawyers and legal professionals who can teach you the ways of working as a lawyer. And when you're in there, you're growing your contacts, you're growing your networks. And if you make yourself indispensable, I tend to believe that good people will be held on to. And that if you do the time and do the work, opportunities will follow. The last piece of advice is to be persistent. This is a long game and you're only just starting. It's really exciting and who knows how your legal career and your career in general is going to unfold. But be persistent, put yourself out there, reach out to contacts. Out of your comfort zone is the place that you're going to have to get. Go above and beyond, go the extra mile. This all sounds so cliche, but I think it's cliche for a reason. If you go that little extra step you're going to have a better chance of being noticed and being given that one break that you need, just one, to get your foot in the door. Keep at it. You've got this. The last question is another fantastic one. Do you have a master's degree and do you think it's necessary in-house? No, I don't have a master's degree or an LLM, but what I do have in the way of postgraduate study is a master's of applied law in-house practice through the College of Law. And there is a difference there. It's not a true LLM through the university, 
but it most certainly was very helpful for me to understand in-house practice before I even got to it because I studied that on my own time and with my own money while I was still in private practice. And that was a hard juggle, let me tell you. But I wanted to do it to show future employers that I was serious about working as an in-house lawyer and that I wanted to understand the nuts and bolts of what that actually meant before I had a chance to really immerse myself in it. Do I think it's necessary? Depends. I don't think a full university Masters of Law, an LLM, is necessary for in-house. But of course, no experience is ever wasted. And if you had a genuine desire and the money to commit to that kind of intense learning, then most certainly Master of Law majoring in commercial law would not go unwasted. But that's a huge endeavor. And if you were new to in-house, I would actually suggest that you take the time to immerse yourself in the business instead and perhaps focus your studies or any extracurricular time or activity on the business and the industry that you're now working in, getting up to speed on what that might be. For me, that meant deep diving into cloud computing and to understand what that is because I didn't know. And it helps me be a better in-house lawyer for the company that I'm working for to understand a little more about networking as a service computer sciences 101 and just basic cloud computing principles which it doesn't come naturally to me to be honest it's not a humanities style subject which is what I what I'm more familiar with but I've pushed myself to understand it because I am able to bring so much more value when I do so if you are new to in-house I wouldn't suggest taking on an extra uh, gosh that's a it's a really big commitment as well to do that kind of study focus on the industry the business perhaps take a short course in financial acumen and start to understand how to read a budget and some of the other business tools that you'll come across outside of the legal team i also would suggest looking at some soft skills and they people say soft but they're hard skills Things like influencing, negotiation, persuasion, communication style, how to present to a room. I actually took a a two-day course on influencing and persuasion skills when I was new to in-house and it was really helpful because I was quite young and I didn't have the, the gravitas of someone who could walk into a room and sway an opinion of senior business leaders, which I was called upon to do many times and I really felt out of my depth. So that kind of skill development would be something that I would consider. Then of course, over time, as you develop as an in-house lawyer, you're going to see where your passion really lies. And I think that there will be time and space for you to start to invest in your professional development with some formal study. And that may take the form of the company secretary course, perhaps a course in corporate governance, risk, insurance, project management, or perhaps if the legal operations is starting to really grab your attention, you may want to do the Lean Six Sigma course and and understand how to bring operational efficiency to the legal team or beyond the business more broadly. Looking ahead, my goals in the short and medium term for professional development do involve the Association of Corporate Counsel in-house certification course. I'd really love to do that and I'm hoping to next year if it's offered back in person. And in the next few months, 
I'll be working with the other managers and leaders within my organization on an internal leadership development course that is being run by the company, which I'm really excited about. So I'll get to, again, work on those soft skills in inverted commas and continue to to develop my leadership style. I don't have any plans to study as a, a master's student at a university. It's just not something for me at this time. I think there's so many other more specific, nuanced study that I'd like to do. This is, of course, just my opinion, just one person's opinion. There are so many different ways to grow as a lawyer and as a professional and so many different opportunities. I haven't even mentioned MBA. That just occurred to me then. But that seems to be another, you know, pretty intense learning opportunity that a lot of in-house lawyers may take when they're getting to general counsel or executive level. And they really do want or need to understand business principles So that's it from me on this bonus episode. Ask me anything. That was a lot of fun. I think we'll do this again from time to time because why not? If you could see the weather today, you would understand why I'm inside just having fun with my podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already because then you won't miss any future episodes or other random little bonus drops like this. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Council. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or Instagram 